0: Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Wallin, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Well,
1: welcome to episode 124 of WebRush, everyone. We are excited to be back with you talking about all things web. And uh, I have my glorious co-hosts on today, uh, Ward Bell and Craig Shoemaker. Uh, Ward, what have you been up to?
2: Well, uh, I am deep into this audio video stuff, and my mind is just pow! It's just overloaded. Um <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and I I have to remind myself, it's not just age. Uh, you know, this is just a lot of information and there's a lot of angles to this stuff. So uh, I think that's why the-
1: Glorious came to mind, Ward, because <laughs> compared to your previous camera setup, and I know people can't see this, it's just <laughs> an audio only podcast, it's pretty amazing. You should see Ward. He's looking pretty amazing right now. So
2: Yeah. Well, I have rubbed some Vaseline, a Vaseline on the lens. You know, I got to make myself look pretty now.
0: <laughs> Craig, what about Craig, you? Craig, what have you been up to? Well, I've always wanted to grow up and be like Ward, but now even more so. I know. I know. Because he's got all the awesome gear. No, I, well, I, I've been up to about six foot. Nice. Yeah.
1: It's, uh, that, I, th- I think that's about an inch less than I remember you at. Is that right? Oh yeah,
2: <laughs> it's
0: been too long since we've seen each other in person. That's,
2: That's right. I used to be six eight, but I'm shrinking. <laughs> ah, <laughs> about five five six now.
0: Excellent.
1: So we are super excited to have Minko Gachev with us. And if you don't know Minko, uh, he's done amazing things. He's Minko. I have to admit, you're one of the favorite people I follow on Twitter because the tips you give are amazing. But let me tell you a little bit more. Uh, Minko is leading the Angular DevRel team at Google. And before working on open source full-time, he co-founded Rhyme.com, which Coursera acquired in 2019. I don't think I knew that, Minko. Congrats on that. That's pretty exciting. Um, So first off, welcome to the show. And uh, tell us, uh, I know kind of what you've been up to because of Twitter, but what's been going on your way?
3: Yeah, well, a lot of exciting Angular stuff. Uh, We have been working on both like product and uh, community side of things recently. So uh, currently I've been very highly involved in improving the debugging experience for Angular, also making sure that Angular applications perform well, well according to like Core Web Vitals, like the uh, user-centric search metric, user-centric uh, performance metrics coming from Chrome, uh, and uh, a bunch of other things, starting with RFC process on the Angular side, uh, going to uh, some community other community initiatives uh just uh, running different surveys to understand what people would want to see in Angular recording video like pretty much all of it <laughs>
2: now wait a minute, wait a
3: minute. uh I
2: heard that uh Angular is dead. it's only being used internally in Angular. They've cut themselves off from the west of the rest of the world. uh not so, not true.
3: Yeah, I haven't heard about it actually. Well, I, I, might have I haven't heard, heard that, that either. But is... there are
2: pe- there are people who say <laughs> things like that. So I we want to know, we want to know um, what what the what you know what's going on.
3: Yeah, social media is a dark place. Uh, I have <laughs> we have been um, Angular has been doing pretty well actually. We we looked at uh, we, we we are we are running an annual developer survey, uh, and last time we got about thirty thousand responses. That's like only Angular lot. developers. Hmm. Yeah, uh, we released our survey results. So, like, it was hard to analyze all the open ended answers, right? You can imagine 30,000 of them. Uh, we run some, we worked with a vendor in order to make sure that we provide, we, we run some natural language processing on them so that we can categorize them in different uh, areas of focus. And we released survey results on our blog about a month ago. Uh, I was really happy to see that. More than fifty percent of people actually rated Angular with a nine or a ten. Wow! Out of uh, out of ten, yeah. And there were I think about six percent of people who rated it with less than a five. So we had pretty good uh, feedback from the Angular community.
2: And yeah, uh, that's people who actually use it as opposed to people who who throw darts at it from across the.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's one side of the things. It's really hard, actually, to to measure the exact usage of a front-end framework that is being distributed for free. like And it's just like a JavaScript file that you can add to your application, right? Yeah. Uh, so one of the metrics that we have been looking at is also number of NPM downloads, which is very inaccurate because the majority of Angular users are actually enterprises that have their own private registries. Mm-hmm. But still, we observed significant growth there as well about... Forty percent growth uh, in 2020, which was uh, right. Yeah, yeah, I was happy yeah. to see that.
1: What you mentioned uh, debugging there, because uh, you know that's that's an area that honestly I don't think it matters what library or framework I use. It's challenging sometimes. What uh, what are some of the things going on there? Because I know you've also done a lot of you know have deep insight into the compiler and all how all that works too, but. What are some of the things going on in that area that you feel are, I don't know, big productivity boosts maybe to devs?
3: Yeah, uh, we had, yeah, I had some my side projects which were building on top of the compiler to allow you to explore your, your application, even in the three-dimensional space. That's, that's kind of, I think, working on my colleague Jeremy calls uh discount of uh, unnecessary inventions. <laughs> so it's kind of true. Uh, Yeah, uh, on the debugging sites in my, like, not spare time, but in my job currently, we're working on a couple of initiatives. One of them is just to improve the error messages for everyone. And this includes primarily newcomers to the framework. So, what we released as part of version 11.1, I think, like that was just a few uh, minor releases back, we released a brand new, brand new error messages. So, the top uh, certain amount of error messages now have a URL associated with them and a the unique code. So when you follow the URL, you're actually going to in your where you can find a guide that includes a short video about two to five minutes on how on what this error message is all about and how you can fix it. And also,
2: thank you. Guide. That Besides. is wonderful. That's that was something that I. I you know I used to be involved in the documentation for Angular some years ago, and that was on my wish list for a long time. That's that's really a great thing.
3: Yeah, you can look at look this up at uh, Angular I/O slash errors.
2: So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you?
0: Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them.
2: Yeah, well, it's important to us. Uh, ideally, we're a consulting company, and uh, you know, we never know what our clients going to want to use Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid, and it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere. AG Grid.
0: You know, at, at any size company too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice.
2: So, if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please. Go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com.
0: What are some examples of the types of errors people might encounter that they'll be able to see a video and have these rich experiences with?
3: Oh, we have the infamous um, expression changed after checked. That's one, <laughs> one of the... One of my faves. Yeah. <laughs> this video currently has high, the, largest, the highest number of views. i was, uh, like not surprised to see that. Um, you can see the circular dependency and dependency injection or no no provider found uh, uh, selector collision Nice A bunch of these Um, They're both runtime and compile time error error messages that we added to URLs So that's part of the initiatives on, on improving debugging And Another one was just to go through all the different error messages that we have in framework and make sure that they're providing valuable information That was the first stage So that was a Improving their errors was the second. With guides, another thing is uh, Angular DevTools. So this is uh, collaboration between the Angular team and uh, the original authors of Augury, which was the previous version of Angular DevTools prior to Ivy. We have been cl- working with them on improving the debugging story for understanding the structure of Angular applications and also being able to profile them more, profile them better, just by Implementing different profiling tools for Angular, which check how long did it take you to, uh, sp- how much time you spent in change detection in a particular component, um, how much, how many times you invoke change detection overall, uh, stuff like that, and what trigger change detection. Sometimes it's not obvious.
1: That is awesome because uh, I, in my role now at Microsoft, I'm dealing with a lot of different frameworks. Actually, just because we have to certain things I'm on, we have to make them work, you know, everywhere. And in, I won't even say it because I don't want to get into battles between this and this, but in one of them, it turns out there was a ton and it wasn't Angular, by the way, there was a a ton of, you know, what we would call change detection checks in Angular going on and nobody caught it until a little bit later, mainly because none of us had looked at it, to be honest. So I'll take some blame there for not looking at it. So it sounds like you're going to make that come much more to the surface then, to be able to easily profile it and see
3: those? Yeah, yeah, we, during, we're currently dogfooding this. It's pretty much a Chrome extension that you can even run in an electronic application in general, it's pretty decoupled. So it just, you can even run it remotely when I think about it. It's just like a, a synchronous communication channel. Uh, we found a couple of interesting performance issues in some really large Google projects that are using Angular internally. And they were not very obvious to find otherwise. But with DevTools, people were able to just run the profiler and see the change detection going on, and just like click on a particular change detection frame and see how much time did they spend in each individual component and what did they do there. Uh, and until we get there, because we still want to work on better integration with uh, the framework right now between DevTools and the framework, we want to establish a good interface for communication. Uh, we also released some uh, videos on our YouTube channel. So we're we have we're kind of revamping our YouTube channel to make sure that we're posting content uh, regularly now. It's uh, youtube.com slash Angular, and you can find how you can debug your application with Chrome DevTools. And ultimately, Chrome DevTools provides you even more compared to what Angular DevTools is going to, to give you because you can look at the individual function invocations and... Uh, But at the same time, all this information could be a little bit overwhelming. That's the purpose of DevTools, to hide a little bit of this and uh, show you exactly what you need to see for your Angular apps. Now, is this all YouTube content produced by the Angular team, or are
2: you accepting outside contributions? How does that work?
3: Yeah, well, on the error guides, we actually work with Uh, Fireship.io. That's, I think, the only YouTube channel... I'm subscribed to from my personal account. Maybe this one and one minute physics when I think about it. But yeah, we, we work <laughs> with them on uh introducing uh, um on, on developing the content for Yara guides. And uh aside from that, I think that primarily the content is developed by, by the Angular team. Well that's that's great.
2: That's great stuff. Um is there Is there sort of a theme for the direction of Angular over the coming release or releases uh, that we should know about? Because, I mean, you're always fixing stuff all over the place, but often uh, a framework has a sort of a major initiative that it's working toward, a goal. Is there there a goal or a series of goals that you're working toward?
3: Yeah, uh, a few things. So first, uh, one more thing that I wanted to briefly mention was about just... uh, being more explicit on what we have been up to in social media. We noticed that at a certain point, we had maybe one tweet a month, and this was maybe not sending the right message. So now we are sharing pretty much all the, well, not all of them, but a lot of the new stuff that we have been uh, publishing and uh, sharing with developers. Um, and as part of this initiative, we also shared our roadmap. You can't imagine how hard that was, actually, because building a web framework is something... Very unpredictable. You have web moving forward very fast. There are new web standards being developed. Uh, There is JavaScript, the language which moves forward annually with uh, new standard proposals. And also the business, which moves even faster. So the framework needs to make sure that it aligns with all these different standardization bodies and also fuels the business purpose as well. So it has been challenging I think not only for Angular, but pretty much for any web technology out there to publish a roadmap for the next couple of years. Uh, we did that uh, last year uh, where you can find currently the roadmap out on um, Angular.io guide slash roadmap. We were listing a couple of more strategic initiatives that we'll be taking on in the next like a couple of uh, months or at least like two years maybe.
0: So can you pull out a few items from the roadmap you think would be worthwhile for people to look into?
3: Yeah, yeah. generally Angular, in Angular's vision, we, we want to be opinionated and to provide best practices from the start. So if you look at, uh, the, that's kind of a common theme between all the efforts in the, in the roadmap. Something that is coming up soon is just strict mode where we'll be introducing stricter type checking for in-angular templates and TypeScript code. I don't think it's even on the roadmap because it's kind of a relatively small effort. Uh, something else in this direction is um, um, uh, simplifying the framework generally. We we want to be opinionated with best practice from the start, but at the same time to not overwhelm people with a bunch of concepts that are part of their critical learning journey. So this is uh, optional NG modules is part uh, of um, of this vision. That's something that we have been looking at for a while. Uh, and we haven't implemented it only because it's, we want to make sure that it doesn't have breaking impact on the ecosystem.
1: Mm. You know, that was going to be my number one thing I was going to ask you about because having done a lot of training and stuff like that on Angular over the years, that's always the first thing is, what's with this module? Like, why can't I just write a component and it runs? So I'm, I'm excited to see that, you know, it's a hard problem to solve because like you said, you can't be, I mean, AngularJS had modules, you know, Um, So it's not like you could just rip those out and hope that everything works perfectly because it probably won't, but I'm glad to hear uh, what's going on. What's some of the areas you're looking at there then? Like what's some more details? Cause uh, I think that's pretty
3: exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Actually when I joined the team in 2018, before that I've been part of the Angular community, I was thinking about this yesterday, almost 10 years now. That's wow. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, 2018, when I joined the team working on Angular, I was, uh, My first pull request was to make NG modules optional, but I wasn't thinking about the consequences that this could have and like all the implications. So clearly, this this wasn't able to go through. And we have been planning until then how to make the rollout in a smooth way, (laughs) to ensure a smooth transition and also to still provide NG modules for the large applications which need them, because we find them as a really great organizational pattern for. Large apps such as let's say Google Cloud, which I think they have over two million lines of TypeScript right now, and wow, uh, yeah, they too find... much. <laughs> That's about a million and a half too much. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Big uh, app though.
3: Yeah, uh, just a little bit context about ng modules. So, ng modules primarily exists because Angular has a has templates which are just like plain HTML which we later compile to efficient JavaScript instructions. We believe that this static HTML, it provides us, it it provides some static guarantees that let us optimize it at build time and make Angular as fast as we could. And what ng-modules do, what ng-modules do is just like to provide the compilation context for this template. They just let you know which components are available in this particular template so that the compiler knows what output it can generate. And uh, the way we're planning to make them optional is to allow you to specify individual components that a particular template uses directly in the corresponding component metadata. So in in add component, you're going to have something like depths or imports or something like that, where you'll be able to list all the different components and directives that this component uses.
2: Let me tell you why I think that's a terrible idea, um, and what I how I think that that can be. You can square the circle on that. I have absolutely no interest in taking each of my components and figuring out which components I'm using on there when in fact I mean that's one of the reasons I have a shared module right because there I just I say here here's a grab bag of the things that I might use on any individual component and I could just know that those are going to be available when I create my next component they're all going to be there by their you know it's my little input things or whatever and so um If I was required on every component to sort of take inventory and make sure I listed it, it would drive me mad. Now, I don't know that the way Angular modules is constructed today is the best way to do that. It's actually pretty clumsy, as we all know. Well, if you made me put all that stuff in the component, Minko, I would first, I would tear all my hair out and then I would find you and tear all of your hair out. (laughs)
3: Yeah, that was actually only the first part of the proposal. In the second part of the proposal, we are thinking about letting folks import an entire NG module in their component metadata so that you don't have to list the declarations one by one. And this is going to be much more ergonomic way to go with
2: things. Now now you got me back. Now now we could be friends again.
0: Everyone's hair is safe.
2: (laughs) Good, because I need all I can get. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to go pull all of John's hairs out,
0: but that's... Uh... <laughs> uh,
1: I, I really like to see that, though, because the way I'm a big fan of modules, for the exact reason you said, Minko, um, as applications grow, I'm used to working with other languages and frameworks where they do have what I call buckets where you can organize things. And without those buckets, I've seen what happens. I'm sure Ward and Craig have, too. I know you have Miko probably at Google alone, you know, for folks that haven't gone that route, um, use something else maybe. So I think it's a big deal, but I also think for those, especially when people are getting started or they just want a kind of a quick app to just get out there, whether it's prototyping or it's just not a big app, to have to have that extra baggage, I'm going to call it, when all your goal is, is to get a few components going, I think that'll really lower the barrier to entry which is probably a lot of what you're after i would I would guess
3: yeah, yeah, so together with scalability, we also realize that some of these best practices uh they're they're critical, and we are not uh going anywhere with them, for example, typescript, Good. this is something that we strongly believe in, such as uh also same with uh, uh the compilation that we have in order to guard people from um doing um frequent mistakes in templates and um Having unified project structure, uh, dependency injection, all this stuff, but also at the same time we don't have to really introduce all these concepts at once, and we're doing our best to introduce them gradually over time. So that depending on the scale of your your application, you can use only the subset of best practices you actually need. And when with the scaling of your application, you are able to take advantage of uh, other things we have discovered uh, at scale at Google. Um, just to get you excited about some other things, um, actually that's that's kind of old news. We released that in 2019, but I see that there is um, a large excitement generally in the community and generally in the web community about that. Um, we are also looking at into, but like still not actively investing at into. We call it um, progressive hydration, which is pretty much. Rendering your application on the server and right after that delivering just plain HTML, just plain markup to the browser without any JavaScript. So that when, so, so that's zero cost uh, for the user. It's, the application is going to be immediately rendered, but not necessarily interactive. However, when they start interacting with a particular component, we will be able to deliver only the JavaScript associated with this component and all of its dependencies so that we can hydrate or make interactive only part of the view. Uh, we did this prototype in 2019, I believe, and we have been moving the framework slowly towards making this available for folks. Uh, but clearly, it's like not a trivial problem to solve with JavaScript being a very dynamic language.
0: So you said you're going to serve HTML plain first, but it it's not like it's uh, the JavaScript. Uh, is off on the browser. Like there has to be some JavaScript in there running to say, okay, we now go get this component because I'm interacting with something. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I okay. yes, uh, we're serving the plain HTML first, the server side rendered plain HTML. Right. Uh, and there is going to be a tiny snippet of JavaScript pretty much, okay. which uh, when you start interacting with a particular component, this tiny snippet of JavaScript knows exactly what it needs to fetch from the server, gotcha, but it okay. is going to fetch only the smallest subset of the application that is required in order to serve this interaction the goal here is
2: fast load right fast time to first paint first interact fast time to first interaction and, and this yeah. is the, uh this is generally we know this is server-side uh, rendering or is that is there a different name that you would go put it under it's
3: server-side rendering with progressive hydration i guess that's the the fancy term we we use there and different frameworks call it in different ways uh, yeah, there is a Google IO video from 2019 where we showed this in action. And it's still like nowhere close to completion. We're still looking into this. But uh, the individual efforts on the roadmap are just taking us steps forward this direction without blocking us from achieving this like optimal um, streaming of web applications. It's literally streaming.
2: Yeah. Speaking of things that uh, took longer than expected. Uh, uh, Angular has two view engines, few, two ways to build uh, You know the, 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 the view, the stuff can appear on your screen. And one of them call, is called, I guess, the view engine and one of them was called Ivy. And there's, Ivy was the future for a long time. Is Ivy
3: the present? Yeah, yeah Ivy has been the present for the past exactly a year, I think. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy when I think about it. We released Ivy in 2020 that 's one of the few good things that happened in twenty twenty <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but that 's now the default right and, and, and yeah and what's it, but there used to be a problem with i if I had a library that I was sharing um, it, it would still be using the old view engine and how do I integrate it with things I write in ivy and I kind of like left the building at about the point that that was, because that looked messy. NGCC, I don't know, all these little acronyms. So where where is that now? Is that process of building libraries that work with Ivy easier or
3: getting easier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Previously, we had a compatibility compiler that was compiling libraries using the previous rendering to Ivy. And uh, it's working uh, pretty well, but adds some extra post-install step. So people need to wait a couple of seconds after they install their NPM dependencies for the step to pass. Uh, We released an RFC. That was our first uh, RFC. Well, we have been having other attempts for RFC. That was one of the first RFCs for the new RFC process, let's say where we ask the community for feedback on the new way to distribute iv libraries so this is something that we it's currently in a rollout we're going to make it the default in version 12 where people will be able to distribute iv libraries without needing to package them as a view engine
2: are you building a web application need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it and maybe we can help I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRX Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show.
1: Uh, one thing I want to circle back to, Minko, was, uh, so you mentioned this, I'm going to call it SS, SSRPH, would that be right? Uh, server-side rendering progressive hydration. Yes. Um, I, if anybody uses that acronym, it is now copyrighted, trademarked. Uh. <laughs> anyway, what what I know one thing that I first thought of when you said that was, so is that going to be like a complete replacement for what Angular Universal does then? Or is this just a new way to do what it does? I wasn't clear on that part.
3: Yeah, Angular Universal would not change in this case. Uh, I think there is a very minimal amount of changes required there. It's mostly on the client side. How are we going to handle user interactions and how are we going to load individual components one by one? In fact, this is something we have been using in Google for may, many years now, not necessarily for, for Angular only, but and it's actually doable with Angular even today, but it's not enabled... Like It requires some custom work there. You need to put, put the work into making sure it works with your application. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting problem uh, to, to solve because at the same time, when you think about it, you don't need to bundle your entire application since the bundling happens dynamically. When a, the user interacts with a particular component, we need to figure out this component and all of its dependencies. And on demand bundle a subset of the application in order to deliver it to the client. Uh, and uh, it requires a custom serving infrastructure or maybe just pushing code over HTTP2 or HTTP3. Uh, yeah, It's an uh, it's interesting problem that involves the entire stack, not only actually the client-side rendering, but the changes in Universal are going to be minimal. Yeah, Universal is not going anywhere. We have been consistently improving it over the past few few months. We are in an ongoing collaboration with the Google Chrome team, uh, particularly a team that is very closely working with the folks who are developing Core Web Vitals uh, in order to make sure that Angular is very well optimized for Core Web Vitals. So uh, this has been an ongoing collaboration where we shipped inlining of fonts, uh, inlining of uh, critical styles, And uh, also giving feedback to people on the implementation of the individual metrics so that we can make sure that that they are not penalizing any existing Angular and non-Angular applications.
1: Let me go a little different direction here real quick. Uh, For those that don't, who are on Twitter and don't follow Minko, you should because uh, you provide some uh, tips. And I'll have to admit, there's been multiple of these tips where I'm like, holy cow, I did not know about that you know, because it's just these little subtle language things. Is, uh, you know, a quick segue from Angular here. Is that something you just kind of research for fun on the side? Or how are you digging up all these cool tips?
3: Yeah, I'll say it's a mixture between doing just like proactively looking for things to learn and share and also just having some things in my, I guess, toolbox that I want to share. Yeah, I'm learning some new things around that also. Uh, For example... What is it? Uh, checking whether something is an array. Uh, Array.isArray works better than instance of because it works across iframe and stuff like that. That's like crazy, crazy stuff. And it's weird that we have these quirks in JavaScript in the first place. So uh, on your blog,
0: you have uh, an introduction to who you are and you you have I am, and then you have this code block that has this insane array structure in an eval statement, which I ran in an incognito browser because I didn't know what that eval statement was going to do. And it prints (laughs) up your name, which I thought was insanely fascinating. But then I'm looking at the code and I have no clue how that works. So if you're listening, you should check out Minko's blog and look at this. And I was just curious, can you tell us how that works?
3: Yeah, you can actually write any JavaScript program with just six characters. With uh, square brackets, with parentheses, Exclamation mark and a plus. That's that's all you that's need. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Why? <What? laughs> uh, yeah. For example, when you have square brackets, that that's pretty much an array. But if you prefix this array with a plus, it's being casted to a number, so it's now a zero. Okay. If you if you prefix this plus square brackets with an exclamation mark, this becomes true. But <laughs> when you prefix this with a plus, it becomes one. Uh, so you can get uh, let's say by having zero now and having an empty array, you can very much very easily get undefined, just ac- ac- accessing the zero uh, element of an empty right. array. And uh, if you sum this with an empty array, you're going to get the string undefined. And from there, you can start taking the individual characters of undefined one by one. You can do the same with objects and uh, infinity. And generally you can start accessing, uh, you, you can access, I think it was, uh, um, you you can access the characters uh, associated with specific uh, unicode call points. So
0: you looked for every, any error code that had any of the letters that you needed for your name, your name and then use this technique in order to access the the uh, location of the string to sp- spell out Minko. Am I understanding that correctly?
3: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty
0: much, yeah. That's awesome.
1: Greg, I'll have to admit, that was the find of the year so far because I'm, <laughs> I'm also just baffled. Uh, there's a link in the show notes for everybody. If you want to see this, it's crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, oh, I, I got to <laughs> yeah. see that. that. That reminds me of Gary uh, Bernhardt's famous uh, JavaScript. Why? <laughs> yeah. It's about four minutes long, and it's still one of the best talks ever given. Yes, it is. Uh, right. So that'll be in the show notes, too.
3: Yeah, I love it, too. Uh, yeah, the tricky part, I guess, is to go to string. From character code, so that like from there, you can already get pretty much any characters, oh, character right, out there yeah. in the Unicode. Yeah. So, yeah, but in order to get all these characters, it's like a lot of <laughs> work to to get to there.
0: How long did that
3: project take you? Oh, I did it uh, some time back. I, I I don't remember. it was a while I don't remember that was many okay. years ago. Uh, maybe a few maybe a few days that's that's pretty awesome.
1: He's blocked it from his memory. <laughs> it's so
0: painful
3: <laughs> <laughs> it through a memory exception. <laughs> okay. I actually have a translator. Yeah, I have something which can translate any stream to this. Wow.
2: I'll make sure I slip this into some client code and charge them for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my. God. I,
1: I literally Lord, was just thinking, can you imagine if somebody, because you can make this work, obviously, maintenance would just be like, what? It'd be one of those where you put the comment up above it. And say, every time you change this and it breaks something, please increment this number, you know, and, and there you go. That would And, be and an you it. just
2: got to make sure that the commit is checked in under somebody else's name. You just change the email. And it'll, work right. in there. It'll, look, it'll look like Dan Waleen put that in the code. I had nothing to do with it. That's I'll it. just forward to Craig. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs>
2: so it sounds like, thematically, you're just, you're really working on Angular usability. Well, you're working on performance kinds of things because I hear that is part of the theme, one of the themes. But it did sound like in the beginning of uh, uh, you were talking more about um, usability and ease of learning, and that that's that there's uh, um, an, a, an effort to do that. And I th- uh, I think that's that would be really important, particularly in the competitive landscape where let's let's face it, Angular has a uh, I think deserved reputation for complexity and being hard to learn and things like that relative to say some some of its competitors out there like vue i mean react also has this way of starting out simple and then quickly becoming uh a challenge and becoming overwhelming and uh too but but angular kind of leads the pack in reputation for being difficult to learn and is is so is that that's something that the angular the core Angular group is sort of kind of
3: recognizes
2: and is putting effort into?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are many initiatives in in, in this direction that we're looking at. So uh, re- there are some updates in the learning journey, in the documentation itself, where we want to introduce a smoother Angular in a smoother way without talking about ng-modules and RxJS from the beginning. And even thinking about RxJS, it shouldn't be part of anyone's critical learning journey. So that's another thing. We, another thing we have been uh, looking at. And It's mostly documentation, I will say, there because we have only one abstraction, only event emitter, which is unobservable and it doesn't really. You folks really didn't, didn't, don't need to understand it. It's observable. Observables is a big, set, big part of it. Uh, and uh, optional NG modules is another effort. Uh, having more ergonomic error messages when you get an error message that an expression has changed after it has been checked. That's not the easiest thing to, to oh. get. So, so every time on. I get that,
1: even after years of Angular experience, I still go, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> here,
2: here we go. Down the rabbit hole to figure out what I screwed up. Yeah, time to break out, set time up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will say, though, Minko, uh, and you probably went through this, too, and Ward and Craig, you might have. Uh, back before Angular even hit, to it was, you know, the alpha. Literally, there used to be this error. It was like index is, is not zero. I think it was <laughs> something like that. And no, I mean, and again, this was early, early days. It wasn't even out yet. You know, this was like alpha, re- really early builds. I'm not even sure they were public yet. And I still remember to this day, me and John getting on award. You were probably on those calls too, just going, so where do we start? <laughs> because there was no file name, nothing. Whereas now Angular, I think it actually has really good messages. And and obviously you guys are making it even better. That's pretty awesome.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. I was surprised that we don't have that many errors, actually. So I, in order to extract all the errors... Um, we, uh, we ran a script which analyzes all the TypeScript code, finds out where we're throwing error messages, and outputs this into a CVS file. And we went through Stack Overflow, GitHub, uh, just like general Google search to figure out which are the most common error messages so that we can first target them. And there were not too many. There are for sure less than 100, both compile time and runtime error messages. Uh, I would say that there are maybe around 50 at most, and maybe that's a mixture between Angular errors and uh, TypeScript errors as well.
2: I am curious about what you were just saying a minute ago about RxJS. Now, let me preface this by saying I am, I consider myself... I use RxJS heavily. I consider myself pretty good at it. It took me about two years of daily use to get to the point where I would describe myself as better than the average programmer with RxJS. But it just kills everybody who's working on the team who doesn't live it and breathe it. And I, it's so it's so powerful and rich, but I have a feeling that um, we could use it with a lot less of it in the code. And I'm sorry. I apologize to everybody I've worked with that I have forced so much RxJS on. So uh, with that background, uh, it sounds like you, you're... Um, oh, and I should also say at NG which is the yearly uh, big conference around Angular. I was looking at the talks that have been selected, and as usual, about it feels like fifty percent of them are RxJS talks. And that's sad to me. So, so you guys are gradually steering people to away. You know, originally we seemed to be steering everybody towards RxJS, all the things. Now you guys have sort of backed off that a little bit and made it. Um, made a softer entrance into it, and we're not, you know, are we not demanding, you know, of, of all of our developers that they immediately um, uh, do everything in
3: RxJS? Is, is that the new trend? Yeah, this is reasonable. I have similar experience with it. Uh, it's like, it's very expressive API, so you can have very beautiful and elegant solutions, but at the same time, there is very specific semantics between a very short verb, um, like very short operator, and it's like not obvious what this does, and especially when you pipe a bunch of them together, it's even less obvious. It's similar to Haskell. I, I like functional programming languages and uh, um, more, I guess, esoteric ideas. Yeah, in some, there's, some they're ways. intellectually
2: challenging. I love trying to get the type flow right through all of these things. And after I've yeah. spent a good six or seven hours getting that just right and solving a problem I could have solved in two seconds another way, I feel like that was really six hours well spent. But nobody else does.
0: <laughs> as long as you're billing. I mean, yeah. Uh...
2: Well, yeah. I,
0: <laughs> that's the thing, Greg. I wish I could bill for
2: that, but I immediately feel guilty and I just write those hours off. Sure.
1: Don't you bill by operator, Ward? That you- <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you're right. Haskell's a good example of that. You just feel so alive when you're writing in Haskell, Um, but everybody else thinks you're nuts.
3: Yeah, yeah. With RxJS, I guess it's similar. We we, we definitely are not uh, pulling back. Uh, It's definitely, we we even have space for improvements between the integration of Angular and RxJS. And there are some things that we are planning on doing in this direction, but this doesn't necessarily imply that more APIs in Angular are going to get more coupled with RxJS itself we can just understand better observables and handle these this transparently internally for developers uh, rather than introducing more RxJS uh, APIs to the public API surface. That will so be I a great that's,
2: relief. That's going to be a great relief for the Angular community, honestly.
3: Yeah, yeah I, I feel is, uh, Yeah, I was just going to say, I see it, see it as, as a good opportunity to support not only the folks who are getting started with Angular and don't necessarily like or want to use RxJS, but also the folks who love to use RxJS and they need more friendly ergonomic syntax.
1: And that's exactly what I was about to say is I I think your work with, you know, simplifying the whole module approach and then what you just talked about of there's still observables, but you don't have to be a guru like Ward. Ward is my go-to guy, by the way. If I have an RxJS question, I ping Ward. Um, You don't have to be Ward Bell, though to start building things because, you know, when you're coming from a lot of these other areas, you pretty much learn promises and you're good to go. And we all know promises, you know, especially with streaming types of data, think of, you know, WebSockets for one example. uh, Promises aren't as cool there as like observables, but at the same time, I think there's a lot to be said about simplifying. And, you know, I I think it all comes down to lowering the barrier to entry. So that's good to hear,
0: yeah. So, Minko, is there anything that's on your wish list that maybe isn't on the roadmap yet that you would love to see in
3: Angular? Yeah, there are a few things. Uh, the first one is the streaming rendering that we discussed. It's not on the immediate roadmap, but this is still something that we're going to get to uh, eventually. Uh, something else that is really Whoa, 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 really whoa. back
2: cool. up. What, what is streaming rendering? Streamed rendering? Oh, that was a...
3: That's a progressive hydration. Sorry, I'm using... a oh, different, no, 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 uh, different terms. Oh, oh, for for that. Yeah. I'm
2: going to expand my acronym list now.
3: SSRPH <laughs> goes to, I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about it as streaming rendering because your application like, streams to you. It comes like uh, on pieces to you, uh, depending on your interactions. So it's similar to... I, I think about it as video rendering to certain like to a certain extent. Uh, and another thing that we haven't looked into, uh, it's really cool idea, though, but... Uh, There is already some exploration in the community as concurrent rendering uh, in your application. So pretty much figuring out. uh, So yeah, Chrome Chrome is working on experimental scheduling API where you could uh, schedule tasks with low, high, or medium priority. And this provides opportunities to render parts of the UI with higher priority than others. For example, something that is visible in the viewport may have higher priority compared to something that is outside of the viewport. And there are some community, there is some community work, actually, in this space. Michael Hopke has been, he actually implemented uh, concurrent modes, concurrent rendering in Angular. Um, and yeah, that's a really cool idea that you could look at. Well, there's something like
2: that in React. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name for it. What, what, uh, uh, where they do that kind of um, prioritized uh, work and time slicing. I can't remember the name of it. Do, do Maybe concurrent loss, right? Yeah, it could be that. It could be that, yeah. Too many angles.
1: So last thing I wanted
2: to ask about Minko, I know I
1: used to always hear the numbers about internally at uh, Google, how Angular is being used. And I think we mentioned earlier, um, just Google Cloud alone had some pretty massive lines of code with this. But what is the story you know, nowadays in uh, Google with the Angular adoption and usage?
3: Yeah, it's... Uh... So that's uh, uh, both uh, like we're very happy with it, and also it's kind of a challenge for us because we manage all the Angular applications at Google. We pretty much make sure that all of the applications are keeping uh, are kept up to date. We currently have, I believe, about twenty seven to twenty eight hundred Angular apps, um, and they vary from small shopping lists, for example, Google Assistant, uh, Google Assistant shopping list is an Angular application, the web version. And um, that's one of the, I guess, on the smaller scale, to something large, such as Google Cloud Console, which, as I mentioned, two million lines of code. And we have a lot in between. For example, the code review system that we're using on a daily basis internally, it's implemented in Angular uh, code search. That is the functionality for looking up source code in our monorepo, repo, is implemented in Angular. A lot of infrastructure-critical projects are currently built with Angular. And uh, we have a few established frameworks. Well, a few sounds too many. There are fewer than that. I'll say, um, let's say two official frameworks. And I'm sure there are other other folks who are implementing their applications in other technologies as well. That's uh, uh, in. I'm currently working in Core Developer Web. This is the organization that manages the web infrastructure in Google. And uh, Angular and WIS, that is the other technology. We are the most like, commonly used web technologies, I'd say, where Angular is currently the most popular web framework yet, uh, in the company. One of the, one of the things
2: people may not know is that every time uh, the Angular team comes up with a feature or a fix or does anything, pushes anything, you guys rebuild every single Angular app at Google, if I recall. And if it breaks any of those, then there's a mad scramble to go back and and, and and do it. So so the Angular we consume out here has been tortured by every Angular app at, at Google. Is that true? Still
3: true? Yeah. Yeah, that's the fun part. Well, maybe not the so fun part for us, because it requires a lot of work on our side to make sure that each individual push coming from an Angular team member or a community member goes through internal validation where we have hundreds of thousands of test targets that are running across these thousands of applications. And we make sure that none of these tests fails and Angular is going to be as backward compatible as it was before the change happened. So this is I would say one of the biggest powers of being backed by Google that we have access to this internal monolith repo where we can ensure that we have this enormous test coverage. I've always
1: viewed that as a major, major benefit because like Ward and Craig with various companies we've been with in the past or worked with, having that uh, confidence level, I guess, that first off, it's not going away, right? Because it's just used too much internally for that to happen. But second off that there's this massive massive use internally so that the testing like you said hundreds of thousands it sound like of targets uh, for validation that I mean that's a big deal because in addition to all the community validation you have all this internal stuff we never hear about
2: right and, that's and pretty, it's all automated like yeah you know when, when you break something <laughs> yeah I remember from when I was there there was a mad scramble the big red light goes on and and so
3: that's that's a you sirens
2: war like roo, roo. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you break something, you go there and fix it. And it's uh, fun to look into an application you've never seen before and try to figure out what breaks and why. Oh, I bet. Uh, but, fun in air quotes on that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, yeah, the, the tooling we have internally really supports, supports this. The entire monitoring and this huge CI that is able to... Understands like all the all the applications that were impacted by a certain change. Um, it's uh, yeah, it has been really helpful.
1: Well, that's great. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, Miko, and sharing all your knowledge. I, I think uh, you know whether a developer is Angular or not listening. I think it's great to hear about what are these plans. Whether it's you know the performance and profiling or the simplifications that are planned, and I I love it. It's uh, great information that I think we can all benefit from. So um, thanks again for coming on. Before we wrap up, we always like to do our kind of final thoughts where we'll uh, just share some things we've been thinking on or working on or whatever. Uh, So Craig, let me start with you. What are your uh, final thoughts for today?
0: I'm going to echo something you said and kind of steal uh, an idea and just say that uh, follow Minko on Twitter because in addition to everything that we've been talking about here, those tips... The JavaScript tips and and uh, TypeScript stuff that he puts out there is just you know it, it, certain things that you may never even think of how an operator acts or how a property works or whatever he kind of uncovers that and makes it available and it's it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and, and you know what I love about it, Craig and Minko, said you did it, is you do it real professional. Yeah. You know, I don't know what you're using to produce it, but it's like really nice side by side. And so yeah, keep keep those tips up because I learned a lot from them. Uh, Ward, what's your final thoughts for today?
2: Well, staying uh, in this area, I I want to say that that I find it's encouraging because uh, if you're using Angular today, you don't have to be ashamed about it. There's a lot of buzz out there about you know I love me all the other frameworks too. I'm a I, you know I I want I want to do React and 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 Vue and uh, Svelte and all that other stuff. Totally intrigued by all of that, but I. Uh, I don't have to suffer from uh, framework envy or worry that I've made a terrible choice. Uh, I, you know, Angular is still a really solid choice. That's awesome, Minko. Any
3: final thoughts for us? Uh, yeah, sure. So something that was, I guess, is going to be an update from the Angular side of things, uh, and something that the community was really excited about recently was that uh, we we actually run a survey, a uh, public survey, to ask people what new things they would want to see in the Angular CLI and the answer was that they would want to see better integration with Tailwind, and yeah we have tailwind integration stars since last week so yeah you're welcome to use it um, this has been a really high a feature from a really high demand and uh, we are now looking into ways how to better showcase how to uh, take advantage of it it's pretty much just adding tailwind to your project and adding your tailwind config but we want to have some more videos uh, and uh, potentially streams around it. That's awesome. Um,
1: I've been playing with Tailwind a little bit
3: and it's, uh,
1: you know, it's a completely different approach, but I really like it because I just don't write as much custom CSS classes. So really nice. That's good to hear. Uh, My final thoughts, I I swear over the last few months, mine are always related to something I'm personally working on. So one of the things uh, I try to do uh, to, you know, I'm, like all of us uh, pulled in a million directions, um, every day, like this meeting, then this meeting, and then got to work on this and you know how it is. Um, so I'm trying, I, I've been doing this for a long time, but I've kind of slacked off lately, especially towards the end of 2020. And that is either at night or first thing in the morning, defining what are the top three things I can do for today. So at the end of the day, I actually feel like I got something done. Um, because there are so many days where maybe it's just me, but you know, you get to the end of the day and you're like, well, that was a waste um, because you just don't feel like you got anything done because you were pulled so many directions. So if you haven't tried that be- before for folks, when I have been pretty religious about doing it, like either every night, which is even better, I think, or every morning, it's amazing how much more like fulfilled you fill at the end of the day. So something to try out if you haven't uh, done that. And these aren't big goals. These are like really, oh, look, Craig, people can't see it. Craig's actually holding up a sticky note with his things for the day. I think the, your daughter just scribbled that on, Craig, because it's blurry, and we can't read it. so I, I don't
0: think that I have put on but. shoes, breathe and eat. I, I feel accomplished for the day.
2: <laughs> oh, put on pants. That's right, yeah, got you
1: it. you
0: gotta start, you gotta
1: start somewhere. <laughs> So with that, thanks again, Minko. Uh, Thanks, Ward and Craig. It's been great talking with everyone. And for all of you listening, check with us every week for the next episode of WebRush.